0: All right, 2018. We're at the end of it. Do you remember anything about 2018? It's kind of gone in a flash. In case you need a memory jog, uh, why don't you have a look at the year in review according to at least a newspaper site. Let's go. Well, I wonder how your year has been. How do you feel when you think about 2018? Uh, we don't need to watch that again. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Oh. Okay. Um, what, what feelings does uh, 2018 bring back? Nostalgia? Good memories? Thankfulness? Joy? A lot of laughs? Maybe bitterness? Disappointment? tiredness. Uh, the end of the year is always a good time to do some reflecting, isn't it? It's probably the one time in the year where I know if I preach a sermon on looking back and thinking about these things, uh, you're all going to be on board. So that's what we're going to do. And it's an important thing to do, I, I think more than just once a year, looking back and help us learn from our mistakes so uh, we can, what's called fall forward. Have you heard of that? Fall forward. When you, when you fall down, you don't want to fall backwards. You want to fall forward. You want to fall and think about what I could do better. But also, as we look ahead, not just to 2019, but for the rest of our lives, what is it that God would have us learn as we look back? Now how we're going to do that today is we're going to get help from Paul, Paul the Apostle who wrote half of the New Testament. He is at the end of his life, and he's looking back not just on one year or 10 years, he's looking back on about 30 years, 30 years as he's been giving everything to be a pastor, evangelist, a church planter, a missionary. But really, more than that, he's been 30 years a follower of Jesus, and that's what's important for us. Like us, Paul was a follower of Jesus. And as he looks back at the end of his life, he'll give us some insight into how we ought to look back and how we ought to look forward. So let's pray and let's get into these short verses. Father God, we pray that we might have your eyes to see. Your eyes to see um, through Paul how we ought to look back or want to look back on our year, but more importantly on our lives. However long you've given us, however long we will have, help us to look back and have no regrets for how we might have lived our lives. And in light of that, help us to look forward to the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Paul has written in 2 Timothy, probably the last known words we have of him, these Verses. So let me read some of these verses out again. Uh, Have your Bibles open or your apps open because we'll keep coming back to them. He says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So I've got three points we're going to talk about. Firstly, we'll look back with Paul. Secondly, we'll look forward. And then thirdly, we'll talk about our lives. Um, What we know is Paul is probably. At this point, in about 64, 65 AD, he's really, at the end of his life, awaiting execution. Uh, He's been in prison before, but he is not so optimistic like the last time he was in prison. Last time he was in prison, he wrote letters like Philippians and Colossians. But it was a different prison from which he would be released. Now, as far as we know, he was chained in a dungeon waiting to have his head chopped off. You see, the Emperor Nero a pretty bad psychotic emperor, uh, blamed Christians for a fire that he had started in Rome. And in this period, Jesus' first disciple Peter would be crucified upside down, and Paul would have his head chopped off. And Paul is now waiting for his death. Later on in that uh, chapter, uh, if if you're quick, you can look at verse 16. He talks about the trial, his trial before the authorities, and he says that at my first defense, verse 16, no one came to my support. He's in, on trial, and he was absolutely alone. Everyone deserted me, he said. So there's Paul in the dungeon, chained up, feeling abandoned, feeling alone. It's the cold winter's coming, and so he's writing to Timothy, his young apprentice, asking Timothy to bring him a cloak, because it's going to be cold, and some reading material, because he's alone. That's Paul, and he's facing the end. He's on, a, on his own. Now, when you're at that point in your life, at the end, you get some sense of clarity of what's important, and that's why we need to pay attention to Paul's words. In 2015, after Steve Jobs, the million billionaire founder of Apple, uh, he got sick, and that's what he looked like um, before he died. Uh, after he did die, there was reported these words, apparently, that Steve Jobs had written. Let me read them out to you. He said... I reach the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of this life I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Now I know... When we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. There should be something that's more important. Treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. They're supposedly the words that Steve Jobs wrote as sort of his last advice before he died. And they're really great words, right? The kind of words you'd want to have the sense of clarity, especially for a a gazillionaire like Steve achieved all he did as he looked back on his life. Only we found out later that these words were a hoax. All right? He didn't actually write them. He, this wasn't his last words. In fact, his final words were apparently less interesting. His final words were actually, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. And that was it. And it's such a pity because it's the end of his life. That hoax letter really should have been his final words shouldn't have because if you're not going to look back on your life and learn those things then when are you going to do that but unfortunately for steve jobs as far as we know that's not what he realized well the apostle paul does look back and unlike steve jobs he has clarity he sees what his life has been about and he says it's like a drink offering He uses an image from the Old Testament Bibles where um, there were lots and lots of different kinds of offerings that were offered to God, animal sacrifices offered to God. And on top of one of those offerings would be a pouring of wine, and that was called the drink offering. It's sort of um, the final seasoning, topping off the burnt offering as an aroma pleasing to God. And Paul is saying his life is like the burnt offering underneath. But his suffering now in jail, awaiting his death, even though he's abandoned and alone, that's the drink offering. That's the the top off of a whole life given over to God, pleasing to him. His life has been about that one thing. It's been about giving it all up for Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians, have a look there. And this really sums up his life, right? Uh, What's he been compelled by? What's he been motivated by? For Jesus Christ's love compels us, he says. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, everyone has a choice. Whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, you can live for yourself or You can live for the God who made you and loves you and gave His Son to die for you and offers you forgiveness. By the way, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, most of this sermon is kind of a little bit in-house. We'll be talking to regulars, talking to Christians. But just for a moment, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God loves you, He made you, He died for you, and He wants relationship with you. You can be forgiven today if you trust in Him. And if you do, then He wants you to live your life for Him. Do you live for yourself or for God? Do you hold on to your life with closed fists and think, well, I've only got 60, 70, 80, 90 years if I'm lucky, so I better eat, drink, be merry, and then die? Or do you, like Paul, think, no, it's all an offering. It's all for God, every single ounce, every moment, every minute, every second. How would you rate your year? Have you lived it for God? If other people looked and audited your year, would they say you've lived it for God? Well, let's keep going. Verse 7, I think, is the most stirring back in 2 Timothy 4. Don't you want to be able to say this at the end of your life? He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul looks back and he's able to say these things without shame. Don't you want to be able to say that? Um, He uses three images of what it means to look back and think, I've done a faithful job. The first is boxing. The second is running. The third is banking. Number one, boxing. He's fought the good fight. The fight there literally is the word for agony. Well, where we get the English word agony. Greek word agonia. It means struggle. It's not just a you know, little scratch play fight. It's agony. He's fought the good fight. It's the boxing image. He has finished the race. The word their race, is a set course. It's the path that God has set for you, a set distance. And he says, I've reached the end. I've gone to the finish line. And the third image is banking. That may not be so obvious, but he says, I've kept the faith. The faith, you're going to notice the the, because it's not, I've kept faith. He's actually not talking about his faith. He's talking about the faith. When the New Testament uses the faith, it's another way of saying the gospel, The good news of Jesus. The good news that's passed on to Paul. And he says, I've kept it pure. I've not let the false teachers corrupt it. I've preached it as faithfully as I can. I've kept the faith. It's like I've been given a deposit and I've made something of it. It's a banking image. Boxing, running, banking. I want you to notice three things about all of those images, especially as they come together. Firstly, All of them have a the, right? Not just the faith, it's the good fight, the race, and the faith. There's what's, in English grammar terms, the definite article, which means there's only one fight, there's only one race, there's only one faith. So even though every person is different, we all have the same journey, all right? Every follower of Jesus is different, but God has put us all on the same journey. There's only one fight, one faith one race. It's a bit like the book Pilgrim's Progress, a classic if you don't know it. It, it, it tells a story of, of Christian who makes his way to the heavenly city. Now, I used to have a copy of Pilgr- uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the kids' version, and it basically finishes halfway when Christian gets to the heavenly city. But if you read the Pilgrim's Progress, that's only half finished Because after Christian makes his way to the heavenly city, then you hear about his wife and his kids who also make the journey. But they're making the same journey, like the twist and turns, a little bit different for them, but it's the same journey. Everyone has got to make their way to the heavenly city, right? There's only one journey for all followers of Jesus. God has mapped out the path for all of us, which is actually why we need to hear from the Apostle Paul, because you might be thinking, well, this is Paul. He's like special. He's called to be a missionary, an apostle, a church planter. I'm not. I'm just an ordinary Christian. Well, you know what? Paul has the same journey mapped out for him and us. The details will be different, but we're still part of the same fight, the same race, holding on to the same faith. So that's the first thing to notice about these three things. There's only one of them. Number two, all of them have to do with endurance, because only at the end can he say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. So when we think about the three images, boxing, running, banking, you've got to think, well, boxing, it's not going to be UFC, MMA, you know, you know, um, Mixed martial arts, Uh, in mixed martial arts, it's basically only three rounds, and often they finish really quickly. If you've ever watched UFC and really been disappointed because the knockout happens like that, right? The fastest is eight seconds in round one. This is not what he's talking about. The kind of fight he's talking about is like the 1975 thriller in Manila between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, which went for 14 rounds, Uh, At the end of this fight, they were both so tired they could barely hit each other. That's the kind of fight we're talking about. Endurance. Long fight. Dragged out. The full 15. And so race is not going to be a sprint. It's going to be what Pastor Marshall used to do, which was marathons. right? Hours and hours of grueling pain just to get to a 42-kilometer finish line. Crazy, if you ask me. But that's the kind of race we're talking about. Keeping the faith, well, it's not going to be a short-term deposit. We're looking at a nest egg, all right? We're looking at your superannuation. It's long-term. The key with all of them is you've got to finish and you've got to be faithful to the end. Endurance is the key. The third thing to notice is all of them have to do with pain in some way, especially the first two. Remember, fight is the word agony. Right? It's, it's not a play fight. It's not like scratch each other kind of thing. Right? It's real, tough, struggle, fight in the trenches kind of thing. Marathon It's right, just pain, after, pain mile after mile after mile. And the banking image, well, this is a long-term deposit, and so you won't be able to enjoy its fruit until right at the end. Right? So this is all about delayed gratification, pain now, suffering now, Reward later. And so if 2018 for you has been one of struggle and pain and disappointment, I kind of want to say to you that's probably normal. (laughs) Right? Keep running. Keep pushing on. Keep fighting. That's what it's supposed to be like. It's supposed to be hard. But with God's grace, we're supposed to endure until the end. But the other thing to remember is we're not doing this on our own. All right, in order to get to the end, we're gonna need each other. I'm gonna show you a photo. The photo is uh, from the 2016 Olympics. I don't know if you remember this. In the 5,000 meter heats, a New Zealander, Nikki Hamlin, during the heats falls down, accidentally trips up an American, Abby DiAgostino. So Nikki trips up Abby, and you'd expect Abby at that time to be pretty annoyed maybe say a few bad words to Nikki before running off. That's not what happens. Abby refuses to continue the race. Instead, she sacrifices her race to turn back around to help Nikki, who had tripped her up. And this is them hugging after the race. Neither of them finished within qualifying ranks. But Nikki was so thankful to the American, Abby, and she says after the race, that that girl is the Olympic spirit right there. I went down, and I was like, what's happening? Why am I on the ground? Then suddenly this hand on my shoulder says, and the voice says, get up, get up. We have to finish this. Of course, that was Abby talking. And Nikki says to Abby, yep, you're right. This is the Olympic Games. We have to finish this. It's about finishing all right, you don't have to come first. You just have to finish. But God gives us each other. Which means that this church, making the effort, making the effort to connect with each other is really important. Right, making the effort, I mean, Hongi and Trav talked about making lots of effort to connect and we're really sorry that we haven't met all of your needs. Um, but even with your particular needs, you've really made the effort to connect. So that really gives the rest of us no excuses, right? If you haven't been part of a CG, if you haven't made the effort to really get into the community with each other's lives, then can I urge you in 2019 to make the effort to connect. Church is much more at this church than the Sunday gathering. It's about what we do midweek. It's about doing life together. It's about loving each other, sharing, praying together. So make the effort to connect because you're going to need each other to finish the race. So that's looking back with Paul. My second point, much shorter, uh, looking forward. You see how um, verse 8 goes from looking backwards to looking ahead? He says, verse 8, There is now in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There is an end to the fight. There is a finish line to the race. There is a cashing in of the deposit And that is when Jesus returns. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Dom preached on the second coming. Colossians 3 says that as followers of Jesus, our life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. The cost and the agony is great, but the glory is coming. The reward is going to be greater. And the reward, says Paul in verse 8, is the crown of righteousness. The of probably means that is the crown which is righteousness. God is going to award us with his own perfect, pure, holy beautiful, glorious righteousness on the day where we will shine like stars in the universe. No matter what you've done in this life, no matter how many regrets, no matter how guilty or stained you feel, on the day that Jesus returns, He's going to take all of His perfection. He's going to put it on you like a beautiful white coat and none of your stains will be remembered. That's your crown. Look forward to that. And so really the future is about perspective and that's why we need to look to the future because you know what? eternity, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be spending eternity with Him. And that will give you a perspective that you won't see now, perspective even on the pain. It's like climbing a high mountain, and Julie, do you recognize your photo? (laughs) The pain of of hiking up on that mountain, but then the exhilaration, yes, on the top. Yeah? And a few of you have done that, not me. Sorry. It gives you perspective, doesn't it? As you look down over the world below you, you can even see the trail that you struggled up. But it's all worth it because the top gives you perspective. All well, eternity is going to give you perspective, friends. You talk about 80 years, 90 years on this earth. It seems like a long time. What about 80 million years into the future? 90 billion years into the future. So long into the future that years doesn't even, like the word doesn't even have any meaning anymore because it's eternity. You won't care about the last, well, the first 80 years of your life, will you? When you are 80 billion years in heaven. That's perspective. And so, we need to not just look back on 2018, don't we? we? we want to be thinking, well in eternity, what do we want to say about these 80, 90 years if you get those years? What do you want to be able to say about your life? Many of you know Jim Elliot, who was 28 years old when he was killed as a missionary trying to bring the good news of Jesus to the tribes in Ecuador. 28 years old killed. Some would say his life was wasted. Well, he thought differently because his famous quote, and you probably know because I've used it like a billion times, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. People would say he's an idiot for sacrificing his life, his marriage, his family. He says, no, you're not a fool if you're going to give what you can't keep anyway, because 80 billion years into eternity, you can't keep these things. Your wealth, your job, your privileges, nah, it's all gone anyway. But if you give them up to gain what you cannot lose, and for him, that wasn't just about his eternity, it was about the eternity of others. He says, Well, that's worth it. It's worth every single day. Or for him, all the days that he gives up on. Do you think this is the 1950s? Okay, so what? Almost 70 years ago. He's been 70 years into eternity. Do you think he's looking back on the first 28 years and thinking, oh, gee, I really shouldn't have done that? Do you think 70 billion years into eternity, when we're there with him, he's going to say, oh, gee, I really wish I didn't do that? No, is he? That's perspective. So my final point. I wonder what you think is the most famous sermon preached this millennium. I can say this millennium because it's only been 18 years into this millennium, so it's quite easy to judge 18 years. Um, I reckon the most famous sermon, or at least one of the most famous sermons this millennium, was preached, not by me, of course, but by Pastor John Piper on the 20th of May, year 2000. It was a famous sermon that he preached to 40,000 university students at a conference. I'm going to show you seven minutes of that sermon. You might recognize it, but I reckon it summarizes so much of what we need to hear today. I'm really hoping and praying, and I have been praying this week, that it would speak to you. As much as it spoke to me. Let's have a look. Yeah. Can we turn it up? Don't waste your life. Sorry if you didn't catch all of the sound. We've had some difficulties, but you can Google it. It's a really famous sermon. Don't waste your life. Don't get to the end of your life. Face God. And the only thing you have to show is your shell collection or whatever that equivalent is. So what does not wasting your life look like? Well, I want to help us out by going through the different decades of our lives uh, this is not scripture, this is me as a pastor talking in big, big generalizations, but I've done this before and some people have uh, shared that they found this helpful. So I'm going to work through from teenage all the way to 70 plus, decade by decade, and give you some suggestions on what it might mean not to waste your life. It's not going to apply to some of you here uh, because we don't actually have many teenagers here, but I'm going to start from there anyway so you can have a think about it. I'll probably spend a little bit more time in the 30s because a lot of you are in that area. Okay, teenagers. When you're a teenager, you're searching for your identity and your independence. These are the years to find your identity in Jesus. To be sure of your faith because you can't inherit salvation. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. So ask the hard questions. Come to know Jesus personally. Be sure of that. And find your identity in Jesus when the world is going to try to get you to find your identity in popularity in other things high school is a time where you have friends like you will never have ever again the kind of closeness day in day out so i say to high schoolers and teenagers make the most of that learn how to impact them rather than allow them to impact you let's move to the 20s when you finish high school late teens early 20s especially you have probably more free time and mobility and freedom than you will ever have in your life. This is the time to read and think and serve and get trained. These are your preparation years. Take a year off to do Bible college. Do MTS or an internship while you're still unmarried and mobile and have energy. Go on missions. Serve in many, many ways at church. Discover what your gifts are try your hand at things and then in your late 20s as you hit the workforce and are a few years into work start applying that training in your teens and 20s these are the years you should be taking leadership positions not just at work which many of you will but also in church in these years get a handle of the real world what does it mean to be a Christian and impact the world where you are as you work Be generous with your time and money because you can. Generally, in your 20s, you have less financial constraints, right? You haven't got big mortgages, or some of you might, but a lot of you don't. And you'll have less time constraints, less mouths to feed probably as well. Your 30s. In your 30s, your career is just taking off. For most, their Christian life now just peters away. That's what we see often. In church circles, it's your 30s that you start really dropping away. And I want to say to you, don't waste your 30s. Don't do that. Don't start fading. Because in your 30s, you really should just begin your life's work as a Christian. When did Jesus start his ministry? 30. What has all that training in your teens and 20s been for? It's been for your 30s. So let me talk about church, home, and work. In church, find that area of passion and giftedness and serve there. Maybe take a lead there. And if that ministry doesn't exist, well, we'll create one for you. Some of the men in their 30s should be ready for senior church leadership positions, like eldership. In home, if you are married, then probably a lot of your 30s is going to be tied up, especially mums, with young ones. That is not wasting your life because you're creating a legacy, raising them. In love and to love and know Jesus. Your life's work does not get better than that, mums. Please don't think that what you do at home is less than what you might do in the workplace. It's okay to work outside of home, but what you're doing at home is infinitely more valuable. And married couples in your 30s, especially when the kids come along, don't let your marriage slip. You want to still be in love when the kids have all grown up, yeah? Invest in your marriage. If you're single in your 30s, this is going to be a time where it's going to be most testing for you. It's going to be hard. As you see, your friends pair off, get married. And Satan will do everything to use that to distract you, to cause you to compromise, or to reduce your effectiveness because you so want to get married that that's all you're thinking about. Well, can I just say, don't waste the period of life that God has given you. Even if you're single in your 30s and beyond, see the opportunities that that creates for you to do what others can't do. Don't waste that. Work, right? Be leaders at your workplaces. And I don't just mean your career, I mean as a Christian. You can be an influencer because you probably have reached the point in your work where there are people who report to you. What kind of a manager can you be? How can you influence them? How can you love them? How can you show Christ to them? That's your 30s. Let's go to your 40s. Many people hit a midlife crisis in their 40s. Well, not you if you don't want to waste it. You should just be getting warmed up. The Apostle Paul was probably getting along, just getting along in his mission work when he hit his 40s. In your 40s, you can start being movers and shakers in your church and community and work. Why? Because you're old enough to command respect and young enough to have the energy still to influence. I'm in my 40s, that's why I tell myself anyway. (laughs) In your 40s, you can begin to model to younger men and women in their 20s and 30s. So in your 40s, take time to be hospitable, invest in other people's lives, be a mentor, be a trainer, be a leader. If you have kids, you're going to be slightly older and you'll be freed up again to do more at church. So do it. In your 50s, you'll begin to be empty nesters. You'll start thinking about retirement. But please, retirement is from paid work. It's not retirement from Christian work. Never retire from Christian life and ministry until you get to heaven. All right? You now have time again that you didn't have. Don't go buy a boat and collect shells, use it because you have the experience that you never have had before. If you're married, work as a team, serve as a team. If you're still single in your 50s, probably by now you don't care as much. So be even more effective, really. You now have more disposable income again in your 50s. So be generous with your time and money, 60s. When you retire from secular work, great! Because now you can be even more active serving the Lord. You can be full-time serving the Lord and not have to draw a salary from church. My mom and dad retired early. My dad was probably in his late 50s. He hasn't been wasting his time. They helped plant the church 10 years ago, the Mandarin congregation. He preaches once a month. Um, He doesn't go to this congregation, so I can say it. Every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock is when the Mandarin service starts. Mum and Dad are there at 8 a.m. or earlier every Sunday. And Dad, even though he's one of the lay preachers, he comes to our elders' meeting. He's not an elder, but he sits in our elders' meeting. He's the one who cleans the toilet and sweeps the leaves and just gets the church in a. He's been doing that for the last 10 years. But he loves doing it because they've got time to do it now. Right? And you may not lead a Bible study, but you can certainly host a Bible study because you probably have a home. A couple in my old church, um, they're called Jim and Jeanette, when they were in their 60s and now in their 70s, what they did was they thought, we're going to invest in newly married couples. So every year, they invite five or six newly married couples, and in the whole year, they would just invite them over periodically once every couple of months, have dinner at their place, and just open up the conversation And I can tell you that these couples gain so much out of that. Are you in your 60s and married? You can do that. Are you in your 60s and single? You can do that for single people who are younger than you. Don't waste it. 70s and beyond, your health might be getting frail, but you still have a significant ministry. It may not be as active as before, but encouragement, writing to people growing your knowledge and love for God by reading, and especially prayer ministry. How many saints I know in their 70s in frail health hold up the church by prayer will only discover one day in eternity how much they do. And you're coming to the end of your journey, so invest in the legacy of others. Run right to the end. If God should give you 90 years plus, keep going until you have no more breath left. That's not wasting your life. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, I pray that none of us who are followers of Jesus might walk away from today not challenged, not just about 2018, but about our lives. No matter what we've done with the year, even if we felt like we've wasted it or the, the last however many years, We pray that by your spirit, we might not waste a moment in the years and decades to come. Give us strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.